Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes. Helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old School Grit, New World Ideas. Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. My mission is simple. To make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere. And I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to make some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CMC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Hey, today we had a nice session, huh? Dow climbing 184 points. S&P advancing 0.85%. NASDAQ falling 1.29%. But that's not important now because next week is the Super Bowl. Not the Pats versus the Rams. Hey, we all know that game's a foregone conclusion. No, I'm talking about the earnings Super Bowl, where more than 400 companies compete for attention as they report the results over the span of five ridiculous days. Yeah, it's the busiest week of the year, and we're coming in hot. Maybe too hot. Seeing as the market were today on earnings and hope, hope that the government shutdown really might end, hope that we could get a trade deal with China soon, hope that the Fed won't surprise us when it meets next Wednesday and Chairman Powell conducts his Q&A session. Maybe there's too much hope and too much hype going into big week, as I always call it, especially after the big rotation out of the safety stocks and into the beaten down tech names over the past couple of days. You see those semiconductors move today? Maybe they have gotten ahead of themselves with that in mind, let's cut right to the chase. So what, who kicks her off? Well, it is Caterpillar on Monday. If you're worried about a global slowdown, especially in China, you'd think Cat would be a perfect short here. But you know what? I beg to differ. I believe Caterpillar can make a ton of money at this point in the cycle, much more than people realize. And unless management gives negative commentary, this stock can fly. I do worry that Cat's management has a bad habit of shooting itself in the foot during the conference call. So be a little careful. Why don't you listen to the whole call? Tuesday's tense. Ooh, we've got Verizon, which has been one of the best performing stocks around when you take in its dividend into consideration. But this is exactly the kind of slow and steady stock that got punished this week. I bet Verizon reports a good number. I just don't know if it'll be enough to reignite the stock, send it back to its highs. Same deal with Pfizer. It's down nearly 7% year-to-date and remains unloved. It will stay unloved unless management does something drastic to unlock value. Ooh, controversial 3M. After a bad year in 2018, 3M is finally starting to rebound, but the company's disappointed repeatedly over the past few quarters. And if you do that again, I got my prediction. It's pain! We also hear from Allergan. Brent Saunders, the CEO, talked a pretty good game when we spoke to him at West earlier this month. I expect a strong number and some positive news, perhaps about Allergan's upcoming migraine drug. 
Apple reports after the close, and I'm concerned because the stock screamed higher today. It was up more than 3%. What the heck was that about? It made very little sense to me, especially because Morgan Stanley had kind of a ho-hum note about it. Now, remember, Apple pre-announced a bad quarter a few weeks ago. I believe the weakness has continued. So it could impact both hardware sales and maybe more importantly, the service revenue stream, which some people thinks, think is decelerating. That's one reason I keep pushing Apple to make some healthcare acquisitions like Epic Systems or Cerner, because doing something dramatic to bolster the service business could give this stock its mojo back. I am still getting incredible Twitter uh, tweets about this Cerner, Epic, Epic merger. Wednesday morning, we hear from Boeing, ATT, and McDonald's. I'm sticking my neck out right here. I think all three could be great. Yes, great. The conventional wisdom says Boeing's hostage to China, but I think it's the other way around. I'm not kidding. Boeing needs, but Boeing needs them. One out of four goes to China, but China needs the planes. When ATT reports, I think we'll see how its cash flow was bolstered by the Time Warner deal. Stay tuned later in the show. More on that. Meanwhile, McDonald's has delivered and delivered and then delivered again. I bet they do it. I bet it happens. At midday, the Iceman cometh. I'm talking about the Fed chair and the press conference. His last statements indicated he wanted to wait. Okay, that caused a major rally, right? Wait before he tightened again. Uh, and he was going to be more data dependent. I feel like the guy, though, is trigger happy. If Powell focuses on how hot the economy is and hiring is, I think that's a signal we'll be getting another rate hike next month. He may also talk about dumping the Fed's long-term bond holdings. That's another negative for stocks and the economy right now. It's a de facto tightening. This guy can be a one-man wrecking crew if we're not careful. Wow, after the close, we have a boatload of controversy when Tesla and Facebook report. My view on Tesla remains the same. If you love, love, love the car, you're free to own the stock. But I can't recommend it because the balance sheet's so ugly. Tesla needs too much money. If you're in the ActionAlertsPlus.com club, then you're well aware that we've held Facebook for ages. I think the stock is pretty much inured to negativity at this point. Even as CEO Mark Zuckerberg just wrote a, a kind of a, a strange piece for the Wall Street Journal defending his company. Weird timing, seeing as the attacks have already subsided, isn't it? Zuckerberg needs to talk about his return on investment from the projects, and he needs to tell us if Facebook can make money now that they're no longer merchandising your data, something that he said Facebook really doesn't do in that piece today. I found it quizzical. Here's a good one. Microsoft. This company's been on fire of late, especially its cloud offering Azure. I just wish they were reporting kind of on a less crowded day so we could know more about how fabulous it's doing. We need more time to understand and digest these conference calls, which is why Wednesday's such a nightmare. Thursday, we got two bookends. All right. We got General Electric in the morning and Amazon in the evening. I worry about GE. Its stock has been creeping ever higher. Yet Steve Tusa, the J.P. Morgan analyst who's nailed the story every step of the way, has said that there's really no reason for GE to be running this year. I don't know. The stock was rated down at the end of the year, but the company's cash needs are so humongous that its earnings haven't mattered. But you know what? I bet that aerospace and healthcare divisions will be fantastic when the company reports. Still, GE needs to raise more money. So we want to know how healthcare looks as a standalone business. Uh, if CEO Larry Culp gives us that, there might be a reason that the stock ran and could run some more. Amazon's a quandary. This stock is the large, it's the largest position in my chapel trust. It's getting too much advanced attention from the bulls, who are starting to squawk about an upside surprise. Happened today in a piece of research. That's worrisome. I want all expectations wrenched out of Amazon, Amazon stock before it reports. Hey, I, I actually love it at this point if the president were to bash the company ahead of the quarter. I want all the fluff gone. That said, Amazon's advertising, retail, and web services businesses are all remarkable. And it's arguably the most innovative company on earth. So we're sticking with it. Finally, on Friday, we have Honeywell, which I think can deliver a nice upside surprise after the fabulous numbers we got from United Technologies. Remember, that's uh, Pratt & Whitney. Uh, and the terrific results that I do expect to get from Boeing 
earlier earlier in the week. Okay, uh, Merck reports too. And last night we suggested that the drug titan spin off its animal health division to unlock value. I don't think they can line it up that fast, but I can tell you that Keytruda, Merck's anti-cancer franchise, will shine when the company reports. Oil's had a remarkable rebound this year. Does it mean anything? Let's listen to Exxon and Chevron when they tell us. I'm not a fan of that group. Fossil fuel, uh uh-uh. But I think both companies have a positive story to tell because of oil stability of late. The bottom line. Next week's all about the triple vente cappuccino with three shots of nitro, at least for me. I've often pulled all-nighters this week, like I'm back in college or something. But can you blame me? I left out at least two dozen important companies that just because we don't have enough time to address all of them. You got the highlights, though. This is the earnings Super Bowl, people. And as next week goes, especially if you include the Fed, so goes the next month. And then some. Hey, let's go to Greg in my home state of New Jersey. Greg! Well, yeah, Jim, thanks for taking my call. My pleasure. Hey, I wanted to ask you about CenturyLink. I've been considering this one since the pullback in late December when you were recommending AT&T because of the stock price trading at a 52-week low and the attractive yield. Well, CenturyLink appears to be the same story, except the dividend yield is roughly double AT&T's, around 14%. So what do you think? I think that a 14% yield is what I call a red flag. And I've got to tell you, there was a really negative piece out this week, a buy, a, a real big downgrade. And the downgrade made me very concerned that that dividend sell, sell, sell. may be chimerical sell, sell, sell. a year or two from now. Next year, it's the business time of our, this is our Super Bowl, right? Look at this. This is our Super Bowl. Look at these days. And this is a fraction of who reports. Hey, listen, on Mad Money tonight, Senator Elizabeth Warren hasn't minced words when it comes to Wells Fargo and calling for the CEO, Tim Sloan, to be fired. With whispers that she might be preparing to jump into the presidential race, I'm asking the big bank CEO how he's positioning himself against political pressure. Then, you down with OTT? I'm exploring the future of television, which plays could pay. And how did the 35-day government shutdown change the dynamic of the long-running trade war? I'm going to give you my take. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. I'm just going to come right out and say it. Maybe we need to stop acting like Wells Fargo is some kind of beleaguered pariah. The major banks have done fabulously this earnings season, and Wells had its most profitable year ever in 2018, even as its quarter wasn't necessarily the best of the bank lot. But you only hear about the Fed's capital and the company's growth or Senator Elizabeth Warren demanding that uh, more heads rolling or the cross-selling scandal from years ago, which was a bad scandal. I'm not denying that. Earlier, I got a chance to sit down with Tim Sloan. Wells Fargo's president and CEO. I want you to hear his side of the story. Take a look. Okay, Tim, you became CEO in October of 2016, time of tumult of the bank. You vowed to turn it around. Where are we in the turn? We're, we're making a lot of progress, Jim. By the way, thanks for having me on of the show. Course. It's good to see you. Uh, when, when I stepped in, Jim, I, I promised that we were going to look all across the country or company, uh, look for things that were broken, look under every rock, turn, you know, open every drawer, and we've done that. We found some things, mm-hmm. right? but I also promised that if we found some things, we were going to fix them. We were going to make things right by customers. 
Um, and we're going to be very transparent about it. And we've done all that. In addition, and, and more importantly, in terms of, of looking to the future, right, we've changed and upgraded our leadership team, both in terms of terrific leaders internal, as well as folks that we've uh, attracted from outside the company, which have been terrific. We've reorganized the company. We used to be much more decentralized, mm -hmm. and we've centralized all of our enterprise control functions, risk functions, things like that. We've changed the way folks are compensated in the company, which we can talk about. Um, and and then we've introduced a lot of new products and services. And well, so we're, we've got more work to do, but we're on the right path. Okay, now when I spoke to you after the quarter, yeah. you said, listen, there's some pluses and minuses. Most CEOs always say it was the greatest quarter. Yeah. And I know you want to play offense. Yeah. Are you beginning to be able to play offense after having to play some defense because of the political environment and also because I know you weren't happy with what happened previously you became CEO? Sure. So we are playing offense, and I think the fourth quarter, which was not the greatest, qu it was it was a great quarter. They right? made it. You made yeah. a ton of money. Yeah, we made. Look, we we made six point one billion dollars in the quarter, right? And when you look at our earnings per share for two thousand Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds. Thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magirite is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Canva. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production. And they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. 18 at $4.28. It was the highest earnings per share in 166 years, right? right? So we're definitely playing offense. And how are we doing, or how do you see that? You see that deposit growth up year over year, right, from a consumer standpoint. And you see that, not, not necessarily on the wholesale side, and also on a sequential basis. But you also see loan growth. Our loan growth in the fourth quarter was the strongest that we'd seen in two years, two years. And it was across the board. It's it was not being hurt by this government shutdown, is it? No, it's not. It's not. It's, it's, it's too early to have an impact. The, the government shutdown is too early to have an impact on the underlying business. And if you've got but, we, but we've got to take care of these folks that are not getting paid, Jim. Okay, so we got We've got to do that. that. Can you do it? Yesterday on air, Wilbur yeah. Ross, Commerce Secretary, yeah. said back pay is, in effect, federally guaranteed. Could you guarantee right here a pledge that since they are guaranteed, that you that your bank will make the loans to those people? So here's what we're doing, Jim. Okay. Right? So we have 750,000 Wells Fargo customers that get a direct deposit from the federal government. So what we did, effective the first Friday, that, that some of them were not getting paid. And we're not trying to differentiate, you know, who's working, who's not, who's getting paid, who's not. Right? We're just saying, if, you, if as of November of last year, you had a direct deposit, which was the most recent information we had, we um, automatically started to waive overdraft fees. We then reached out to, to customers to say, look, if you're, a, if you're affected and you've got a loan from Wells Fargo, give us a call. We now have 14,400 customers that are in the midst of discussion. What we're going to do is we're going to waive fees. We've done that. 
we're going to extend payments, right? On all, you know whether it's a credit card, mortgage, you name it. That's what they're asking us for right now, and that's what we're doing. Okay, right? so, so that's where let, the focus is. Right, let's talk about Wells yeah. in terms of where it is in sure. terms of the political firm. Yeah, four hundred million mm-hmm. you're giving. Yeah, uh, for community, uh, those of us who have been involved with Wells Fargo know that Wells Fargo is a very giving company. Right. I have another life yeah. as someone who's a member of the community. Yeah. Uh, you have made efforts in the California wildfires uh, just today mm-hmm. uh, to, to to help, and yet when I look at the papers, there's uh, a congressperson from California, Maxine Waters, wants to have hearings about mm-hmm. what the banks have done. Mm-hmm. Senator Warren. Uh, she has, uh, you have a target on you from Senator Warren. How do you reconcile some of these things you're doing uh, currently with what happened in the past and what the senators and some of the House want to do? Yeah, so really good question. First, thank you uh, for acknowledging the fact that I think one of the greatest things about our company is our commitment to communities and making a difference. We know we can't be successful without making a difference in communities. You mentioned uh, the commitment that we announced today, three and a quarter million dollars to uh, to the Butte Strong uh, organization, which is organizing the recovery of Paradise, California, horrendous loss in, of life. Jim, we had team members that lost their homes that live there. Lots of customers. We're going to make things happen there. Uh, but right, in terms but, of the, you know, but Senator Warren would say, "Listen, Tim, you were slow to see the harm you caused." This is from the outside when you did the outside director's investigation. Yeah. Slow to see the harm. You gave an ed- address in October 2016 where you said that we failed to see the problem for what it really was—something bigger than we originally imagined. Elizabeth Warren is using that against you and saying that, frankly, you must be fired yeah. because of those statements and your lack of supervision. So you may give the money and you may do the thing that's convenient, but here's a senator in the United States who wants to run for president. Tim, she she wants you gone. Well, that's she can have that opinion, Jim. Right? I think I'm the right person to run this company today, and I, I believe that one because I care deeply about this company. I've been there for 31 years. I know how the company operates. I've taken responsibility. I don't think you should be criticized for taking responsibility, acknowledging mistakes you were, you're, you've made, which we've done, and then moving the company forward. Judge me on what I said we would do and what we've done. And I think based on that, we're making progress. Okay, but here's a person, a very persuasive person in a lot of ways, Mm -hmm. some young people. Mm -hmm. She will run on this, she'll be on this dump. And one of the things in the stuff is she wants Tim Sloan fired because he failed to supervise. Would it ever be to the point where Wells Fargo, the director, said, you know what, Tim, you're a liability and and you got to resign? Look, I think if I'm not doing my job as opposed to somebody having an opinion about me, right, that isn't always informed mm-hmm. opinion, okay. right, um, then of course it would be appropriate that I'm not in this role if I'm not getting things done. You know, I, w- I work for our shareholders and I work on behalf of the board, right? They have high expectations for me and I'm exceeding those expectations. I, I Look, I said someone who follows stocks, frankly, I'm shocked that you have a 10 PE. This is Wells Fargo. Yeah. I'm shocked that you have more, very high yield, maybe mm-hmm. the highest of the major banks. Well, with the dividend increase last week right. at 5%, do you we're think, now at about a 3.6. Well, do you think it's yet. this Federal Reserve consent decree that has a cap on what you're able to do because otherwise I don't get it. You've bought back, a, you're almost going to go back to the 3.3 billion you were before the crisis in terms of shares. Mm-hmm. So is it the perception? Because how much business have you really lost because of the cross-sell investigation? You know, it, we, we haven't lost a lot of business. Um, 
but there's no question that given the changes that we're making at the company and given some of the reputational issues that we've been dealing with, the rate of growth has slowed. I'll give you an example. Okay. So uh, if, you, if you look at primary checking account growth in our retail business, which is a measure for customers who say, you're my bank, right? You get your direct deposit, mm-hmm. lots of debit uh, transactions and all the like. In the fourth quarter of 2016, primary checking account growth ground to a halt. It was zero percent. Okay, so is that an indication that we're losing customers? No, but the growth stopped. Yeah. So now, fast forward to December of last year, year-over-year growth was 0.7 percent. Right. So we're going in the right direction. Right. Still not back to where we were before. And now, as of this, the end of December, we're at 1.7 percent. So you're seeing progress. So it's not a huge loss of customers. It has had an impact on our growth, but we're moving forward. And again, when you look at the fourth quarter in terms of deposit and loan growth, you see a lot of really, really good signs that we're making progress. We still have more work to do. But I also saw good loan growth, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Uh, I am concerned about student debt. I know that uh, Elizabeth Warren says you charge more than anybody else on that. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if that's right. Mm -hmm. Uh, You're obviously a big mortgage lender. I'm concerned about housing, and I'm concerned about the comments that Warren made about your highest fees. Where are we here? So, so again, let me make sure we're we're clear on 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 uh, a couple of issues. Yes. I think one, um, there there was a report that came out by the CFPB that said that when you look at the student card that we pr- provide, right, that our fees were higher than than others. Well, 573 banks, they said you were the highest. Right. In what they didn't describe, right, was the the functions and the services that we provide to those customers were broader than on average, right? Now, having said that, Jim, we're looking at the the services we provide, looking at the prices, making sure that it's done correctly. We may make some changes because of that. Right, but we're not overcharging anybody because it's not as if the, the 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 prices that we're charging our customers. I mean, most of this is free, right? The, right. The, the ATM fees right. and overdraft fees. Let me mention something about overdraft. One of the big changes that we've made uh, over the last few years has been innovation in the company. What? Are, how can we use technology? How can we use information to provide mm-hmm. and allow our customers to fulfill what our vision is, which is right. to satisfy our customers' financial needs and to help them succeed financially. So in the second quarter of 2017, we came out with a new service called Real-Time Balance Alert. It's simple, right? Okay. You're a customer. You say, you know what, Tim, I'd like to know when my balance gets to be $100. Why do you want to know that? Because you want to manage your finances better. Prevent overdrafts, okay. right? That's fair. So we, we, we introduced that service. You know how often we are sending out real-time balance alerts on a monthly basis? Average last year, $43 million a month. Now, that's impacted overdraft revenue. Right, including okay. the the overdraft rewind product that we introduced in November. Well, are these year. allowing you again? I want yeah. to care about offense, yeah. and I care about the state of the consumer. Yeah. It sounds like to me the state of the consumer is actually much better. Yes. Davos, they were also negative. Yeah. Doesn't I hear anything about recession? Yeah, I was in Las Vegas and right. Davos. <laughs> well, there you go. Seeing our team. See, all right, and yeah. then the second thing I sense is is that the Wells Fargo, the politicians may be against it, but. In terms of what we care about, mad money, we always care about ethics, obviously, yeah. and I know we were very yeah. tough on Mr. Stump, that the bank is kind of back. 
we're, we're in absolutely in the right direction. There's no question about it. You can see it in our financial performance. You can see it in the turnover of our team. So voluntary turnover in the best job market that we've seen in our lifetimes, right, lowest unemployment, our voluntary turnover is down to its lowest level in six years. Our team members are saying, we love working at Wells Fargo right? because we've made a lot of changes. If you have a, t a workforce, right, a team member base that's committed to what they do, right, you're going to perform better. Right? And that's, well, that's what I'm seeing happen. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I want to thank Tim Sloan, President and CEO of Wells Fargo. This is Wells Fargo. Thank you Great. so much, sir. Thanks, Jim. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Good seeing you. Appreciate it. Stay with Kramer. You don't need to be a professional money manager to come up with great investment ideas. You simply need to keep your eyes open in your day-to-day -day life. Notice what's going on around you and then do the homework after you spotted a new trend that looks intriguing. Just think about your own spending habits, please. Here's a textbook example. Cord cutting. The catchy name for dumping your traditional cable TV provider and then switching to a bunch of streaming video services. Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, HBO Now, and of course the always essential CNBC app. Even if you haven't cut the cord on your cable package, I'm betting most of you at least uh, use one of these services to play movies or show through shows through your television. By the way, my, my youngest did cut the cord, and it's kind of embarrassing for me, but I'm just putting it out there because I couldn't believe she did it. Anyway, a lot of ink has been spilled about cord cutting as a force of devastation, laying waste to the cable industry. I think that misses the point. The real story here is the rise of these streaming services and the hardware that lets you watch them on your big screen TV. The technical term is over-the-top content. You always hear that OTT, over-the-top content, like everybody knows that. That means any content you can stream directly over the Internet. Old-school media companies have started embracing over-the-top solutions with Gusto. And there's a whole infrastructure of gadgets and ecosystems that make it all possible. And I haven't nearly talked about any of these on the show, so I'm trying to change it tonight. Maybe you're watching me on one of them right now. Hi. So now you've spotted this theme from your everyday life. But how do you play it? What's the next step? You identify the major players, then do the homework, figure out which ones are worth owning. We'll start with the over-the-top devices and ecosystems, an overused word, a trite word, but one that works. And then after the break, we'll get into the actual content providers. It all starts with Harbor. Apple, Amazon, and Alphabet are the dominant players here. The only problem is that these companies are so huge that their over-the-top businesses are too small to move the needle. 
Still, you got this. You got the slick Apple TV, which plugs into the vast online video stores that is iTunes. And you know I like anything that boosts Apple's service revenue stream, which lately, by the way, people are starting to say is challenged and is decelerating. We'll find out what the report next week. Amazon, another one reports this week, has a whole family of Fire TV devices that let you stream digital content on the biggest screen in your house. Just like Apple, the device is not what matters to Amazon. It's merely a gateway actually to Amazon Prime, where 100 million subscribers have access to all sorts of video content, like the terrific new Jack Ryan series, Love, and Prime itself is uh, just a gateway to Amazon's retail business. Alphabet has the Chromecast, along with their own Android ecosystem that includes a ton of video apps, and of course they own YouTube. Alphabet YouTube Live Service is one of the most attractive skinny bundles. That's like an over-the-top version of a traditional cable package. Carry CBC, what else do you need? In short, Alphabet's a colossus in the over-the-top space, but once again, the stuff is barely a needle mover for them. Investors care about paid search. That's the core business. One day, maybe it'll be different. Drives me crazy because this is such a lucrative business. So if you want to invest in the -the over-the-top renaissance, You need more of a pure play, perhaps a pure play like Roku. Here's a company that sells both hardware, just like the Apple TV or Chromecast, and software, namely a streaming video uh, platform that can be embedded directly into smart TVs. Unlike the big boys, Roku's got a Switzerland-style business model. They don't have their own streaming service. You use their platform to access other companies' streaming apps. Now, originally, Roku was all about selling devices, but the company quickly pivoted to the software business and hooked up with a host of television manufacturers to get the platform installed in the new smart TVs, like the one I have. Roku gets a licensing fee from these companies, but their primary revenue stream comes from selling ads on their streaming platform. However, just one second. I have to admit that I've got a bad tracker record on this one. You ever see on TV anyone come on and says, listen, I have a bad tracker, I've really screwed this up. Well, here we are. Because not long after Roku came public in September of 2017, I warned you off it because I was worried it was too expensive. I, the stock, not the device. I figured Amazon, Apple, and Google would eat them alive. But that was dead wrong. Roku changed its business model, doubling down on software, proprietary software. And they did an amazing job of partnering with TV manufacturers. In response, the stock caught fire, surging from $40 a little over a year ago to $77 at its peak last fall. Over the course of that run, I started getting more positive. Then Roku got just completely obliterated during its horrendous fourth quarter. The stock plummeting plummeting to $26 at its lows. That was the day before Christmas when all through the house I told you there was outrageous selling and no investigation. However, it was punished far too much and started rebounding almost immediately. Three weeks ago, Roku pre-announced some key operating metrics, and the company blew away the numbers with active accounts up 40% year-over-year and streaming hours increasing by a stunning 68%. The stock popped 25% in a single day, although it gave back some of those gains when notorious short seller Andrew Laft came out and called it uninvestable because he believes the risk award is no longer in the bull's favor. In short, Roku is a battle round. Even after its recent move, the stock's still down 44% from its highs, but it also remains pretty expensive on a price-to-sales basis, and it's not yet profitable. If you really like the -the over-the-top story, you have my blessing to buy this one, but please only for speculation and keep in mind that I did not do a good job at picking the direction, even though I kind of knew the story. Well, I did a lot of work on the story, but I just was banking on Amazon wiping them out, and Amazon didn't. Finally, here's a counterintuitive one, Comcast. And I'm not just saying that because it's the parent company of this network or that my travel trust, which you can follow along by joining the ActionAlertsPlus.com club, owns the stock. Comcast has been trying to rebrand itself as a connectivity company. 
I thought after this week's report, they are not just trying. They've succeeded. And they have a fabulous new box, which I love, called the X1, which includes a very user-friendly, over-the-top interface. It lets you zip seamlessly between traditional cable channels and, say, Netflix. Like I told you earlier this week, I'm a fan of Comcast here. I think it's very misunderstood. People see this company as a victim of cord cutting, but these guys also provide broadband essential, which is essential for over-the-top entertainment. And they even have their own over-the-top setup. Uh, plus, the stock sells for less than 12 times next year's earnings. And that's real cheap, especially when you consider that Comcast reported Dynamite quarter owed this week. And yes, they've got this Sky asset, which is showing some really great numbers. The bottom line, the over-the-top renaissance has become a powerful long-term theme. But there aren't that many ways to play the infrastructure side directly. Alphabet, Amazon, and Apple will give you a little exposure. Roku's a pure play, but it's risky and only for speculation. Or you can buy Comcast, the dark horse candidate. But the real winners are the streaming services, which I am going to get into after the break. But then you have to stay with Kramer. I'm always telling you to search for companies that are harnessing powerful long-term themes. And you don't need a fancy-schmancy research department to identify some of these stories. Like I told you before the break, some of them are staring you in the face. Like the rise of the -the over-the-top content, meaning streaming video directly from the Internet to your TV. Something that's increasingly replacing cable as the entertainment option of choice, particularly for the younger generation. We've already talked about the companies that make this possible. Apple, Amazon, Alphabet, Roku, even an old-school cable company like Comcast. They have the hardware, they have the ecosystems. But when it comes to over-the-top entertainment, that's not where the big money is. No, in this business, content is king. So let's go over the major over-the-top content providers, some of which are obvious and some of which might surprise you. First off, there's the elephant in the room, and that is Netflix. These guys practically invented this whole business model. Regular viewers know the story. Netflix has gone out uh, to create uh, the world's best library of content for a global, not just U.S. audience. First, the company gets to know its markets. Their software keeps track of what millions of people watch, how long they watch it, what they watch next. They know their preferences. It's kind of algorithmic, right? Then they flood those markets with content that will resonate with viewers. Artificial intelligence. For years, Wall Street has fretted that Netflix spends too much money on content. For years, the stock has continued its long march higher, despite those worries. Because the company's had such incredible subscriber growth. Their service is such a bargain that we always understood Netflix could easily raise prices. And very few users would care. Something they did just a few weeks ago. Now, Netflix reported last Thursday night delivering solid results, but somewhat cautious guidance for the current quarter. And the stock has pulled back a bit since then. Still, I think the problem was simply that Netflix had run up too dramatically going into the quarter, both from analyst recommendations and because of that price increase. Long term, though, this is an exciting story. As CEO Reed Hastings, a brilliant man, a visionary, explained on the conference call, there's a billion hours of television content being consumed in the U.S. today, and Netflix is winning about 10% of it. That's why he's adamant that there's more than enough room in this over-the-top video market for multiple competitors. Call me a believer, but understand that if you buy the stock here, you are chasing, and I am a... No chaser guy. Next up, this one may surprise you if you haven't been uh, paying attention. It's Disney. Yeah, Disney. I mean, a lot of people think this company's been the poster child for the pain of cord cutting. The house of pain. As analysts endlessly harped on its subscriber losses at ESPN. But Disney CEO Bob Iger, well, he's adapted. He's trying to turn his company into a streaming video powerhouse. I think he's pulling it off. Last April, Disney rolled out ESPN Plus. That's their ESPN over-the-top offering that includes exclusive sports content for $4.99 a month. 
This thing's on fire. Do you know I picked up uh, more than 500,000 subscribers in the last week? That's insane. It's got a little bit Fight Club, which people can't get enough of. I think ESPN Plus is a huge winner, uh, but that may also be because I'm on it constantly. More importantly, they've got another one coming later this year, Disney+. Plus. Bob Iger's long-awaited rival to Netflix. And remember, thanks to Disney's acquisition of 21st Century Fox's entertainment assets, the combined company is going to have perhaps the best library of content in the world. Plus, the deal gives them a controlling interest in Hulu, which is already a major and, yes, successful player in the space, particularly because it has a lot of younger viewers, and that's what a lot of people want to get to try to reach. In the end, when it comes to streaming platforms, I believe the best content will win. And Disney's got amazing content. Oh, and the stock actually remains cheap. It sells for 15 times earnings. Oh, that's because a lot of people worry about that ESPN thing. I think it's a buy ahead of what I believe will be a very compelling April analyst meeting where Bob will lay out all the things I just talked about and then some. Now, third, there's ATT, which now owns a cornucopia of media assets thanks to its purchase of Time Warner. Like Comcast, ATT is a traditional TV business, both via its fiber optic network and via DirecTV, which it bought a few years ago and some people regard it as being a questionable asset. I don't know. We'll hear more about it this week. The real jewel in the Time Warner crown is HBO. On top of its premium cable offerings, HBO has a streaming subscription service that costs $15 a month. I think the customer base is incredibly loyal. At the end of the day, though, you don't buy ATT for the media biz. You buy it because it's a huge wireless telco company with a stock that sports a 6.7% yield. Well, I don't think they'll blow away the numbers when they report next week. I do think we'll feel better about ATT's ability to keep uh, paying its huge dividend. Because the company has a ton of cash flow, including, surprisingly, when they bought Time Warner, a major part from Time Warner. Even though they spent a lot of money for it, it, the cash flow is going to uh, make you feel very confident in that dividend. Who else? The truth is, tons of companies are getting into the -the over-the-top space. World Wrestling Entertainment has an incredibly successful subscription streaming service, and the stock's given us some gigantic gains, nearly quadrupling over the past 18 months or so. WWE got its right. Okay, and now other sports organizations are following in their footsteps. CBS is one of the first major networks to roll out a standalone subscription product. CBS is all access. It's six dollars a month or ten a month if you want to skip the ads. And believe me, anyone who spent the last decade fast forwarding through commercials on their DVR is going to want to skip these ads. CBS all access has been a major success. But again, small piece of the pie. I expect pretty much every other network to follow in their footsteps. Speaking of the other networks, I'm betting that Viacom and CBS remerge, which would be huge for both companies. That's a major reason why we own Viacom from my child trust, which you can follow along by joining the ActionLordsPlus.com club. Hey, by the way, the trust owns Disney, too. Here's the bottom line. You've seen the rise of all these streaming services, so if you want to invest in the -the over-the-top renaissance, I say wait for a pullback in Netflix or pick up some Disney ahead of that all-important April analyst meeting. Mad Money is back after the break. It is time to the and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the lightning round. Because I want to start with Anthony in Florida. Anthony. Hey, Jim. Booyah. Booyah. Hey, I just want to know about Chrono stock. It's up about 60% since I bought it at the dip. Is it a holder? Congratulations. They've got a very important tie-up without you. We have been recommending, just so you know, that Canopy is the best, but Chronos is second best, and it's been a fantastic time. It's very good management, by the way. Let's go to Bob in New Jersey. Bob! Thanks for taking my call, Jim. Quite welcome. Genetic therapy stock. 
NVTA. NVTA. If you're going to do targeted cancer, then you need a company like that. They presented apparently very well at JP Morgan. I'm going to say. All right, let's go right now to Ginny in New York. Ginny. Hi, Jim. Thanks for everything you do to educate the investors. That's the plan. That's what it's about. I want to ask you your thoughts on a cybersecurity business. Uh, Fortinet, the, the ticker is FTNT. Right, now, this is a very, very tough one because I got to tell you, as much as I have like Fortinet, I like Palo Alto Networks much more. Which my travel trust owns and feel, I feel great about. Okay, we're not done. We're going to David in Virginia. David. Sounds awful and good. What's up? My stock is Concord, ticker symbol SCOR. What do you think about them competing against the likes of Nielsen? Yeah, you know, I think that this is a pyrrhic victory that Dave had versus Nielsen. I don't want to touch. It doesn't have the growth I need. Let's go to Jack in Ohio. Jack! Hey, thanks for helping me out, Jimmy. It's a dividend play. Yes. Hey, the yield's creeping right up underneath 5%, which is pretty good. Dominium Energy D. Oh, geez, you know, this is all tied up with the South Carolina acquisition. And the interim, just stand there and buy it. They got low power. They got smart guys. They got a fantastic LNG operation, by the way. Export. Okay, we're not done. I'm going to Ann in another Virginia. Ann! Good evening, Mr. Kramer. As I referred to you over a decade ago when I last called Dancing Dimple Man. Jeez, that was probably like 10 years ago. Yes. And at that time, I set up an E-Trade account, Okay. and then I uh, listened and to, and I took your expert advice, and my IRA amount doubled. All right, that's good. Which beckons me to ask, what's your opinion of the E-Trade stock? I think it's good. I, I do uh, lament. I did a piece earlier this week about the day before Christmas and how uh, there was just this another annihilation of the stock market and more individual investors left, which makes it tougher for me to recommend any of these stocks because there are no refs in our game. No one's looking out for the little guy. It is driving me crazy. Hey, we're going to Connie in Florida. Connie. Hey, thanks for all that you do, Jim. I'm a first-time caller. Oh, first time, uh, my- long time. What's up? My question is about exact sciences. I'm looking at a 67% increase for the past year. I already took some off the top at $70. Would you sell now before the earnings call in February? Or well, they kind of pre-announced. Stuff? They already told you the business is incredibly strong. But you know what? I would hold on to it. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's, it's doing quite well. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Time to play Stump the Jump! Contra Gordon, yeah, Gecko. Green is bad. New week! Plus, I'm talking to Logic. So, I'm sorry, back up that. No, you got the wrong thing in there. Trade Talks! <laughs> Oh, hold it. Stop. Stock went into free fall. So, yeah, really, that's the last thing you would drop, right? Okay. 
take control of your financial future with the new madmoney.cnbc.com. Kramer's exclusive CEO interviews, full episodes, analysis, even your own soundboard. Plus special access to Mad Money 101 with rules and techniques to break down the market for all investors. The red flag that makes me drop a stock immediately is... It's everything you need right when you need it. The new madmoney.cnbc.com. why I'm so confident that we can beat China in this trade war? China's unemployment rates at 4.9% headed toward 5%. Our unemployment rates at 4% and flirting with 3% and change. The Chinese economy, it's decelerated dramatically with its slowest growth rate in 28 years. The American economy has its lowest jobless claims in 40 years. Their stock market, it's down 27% in the last year, and there's a widespread perception that it would be even lower if not for government propping it up. Our stock market's got its bullish group back after going through a rough patch last quarter. Let me put it another way. The Chinese communist government seems genuinely worried about workers who get laid off, whether they care out of the goodness of their heart or simply because joblessness leads to political instability. It matters to them. Our government can't even pay its own employees. Just yesterday, Wilbur Ross, the Commerce Secretary, came on Squawk Box and said he couldn't understand why furloughed government workers who haven't been paid in over a month need to rely on food banks in order to eat. He seemed puzzled that they couldn't just borrow the money. Let them eat loans. China's government is very concerned about their company's profits. Our government, not so much. That's why I keep telling you that when it comes to the trade war, China just has so much more to lose than we do. In the long run, it'll be cheaper for them to come to the table and give President Trump the concession he wants. Ever since Trump rolled out his steel and aluminum tariffs nearly a year ago, we've had to listen to armchair China experts as they lecture us, us, about how the Chinese hold all the cards and America's a pitiful, helpless giant. Tell me you haven't heard that over and over again. But as I've been saying all along on this show, China is a paper tire. Our economy is very strong. Even if it was in better shape six months ago, their economy's in real trouble. Our financial system is so sound. Our banks just reported record earnings. Their banks teetering. You almost never hear our companies complaining about the impact of China's tariffs on American goods. Impact's negligible. More important, we have a president who doesn't seem to care about the profits of some American companies uh, that may suffer from this trade war, including one of our largest companies, Apple. He doesn't seem to care too much about his own popularity either. In short, the Chinese have come to the table. they got to come to the table. they just got to. We can afford to wait this out. They can't. Yet, despite the protestations of the intelligentsia, the pitiful, helpless giant does have all the cards. And with the president just crazy enough to play them. So there should be a lot more hope that the Chinese will give in sooner or later. They have to. This semiconductor move is very powerful. And you know how you can spot a powerful move? Intel, which is the granddaddy of the group, reported a bad number. Its stock got hit, but Micron went up, Lamb still climbing, incredibly, Texas Instruments still going up, NXP joined the parade, Broadcom's good, and finally AMD, and that's the one I want to mention. I think AMD at 21 is in the right spot now that we know that Intel is not taking back the share that it lost to AMD. So 
21 bucks, I think it works. As a matter of fact, I still think that all those stocks work. I sure hope we get a little breather so I can push them harder again. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mid Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you Monday. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.